Welcome to episode 144 of the Women of the Military podcast. This week, my guest is Carolyn Patrick, and she is the fifth and final author for the Women Veteran Author Series that I'm doing this summer. I really loved Carolyn's book, True Feathers. It's a memoir of sorts, but it's also a fictional novel, and it was really interesting to read, and it went really quick. I read it in less than a day, and I really just enjoyed the story that she wrote, and I loved talking to her and hearing about how she used writing to find healing after leaving the military. I'm really excited to share her story this week, and if you haven't had a chance to check out the authors that I've interviewed so far this summer, go check them out and go get their books, support the work that they're doing, and thank you so much for listening. Let's get started. You're listening to Season 3 of the Women of the Military Podcast. Here you will find the real stories of female service members. I'm Amanda Huffman. I am an Air Force veteran, military spouse, and mom. I created Women of the Military Podcast in 2019 as a place to share the stories of female service members past and present with the goal of finding the heart of the story while uncovering the triumphs and challenges women face while serving in the military. If you want to be encouraged by the stories of military women and be inspired to change the world, keep tuned for this latest episode of Women of the Military. Women of the Military Podcast would like to thank Sabio Coding Bootcamp for sponsoring this week's episode. Sabio Coding Bootcamp is a top-ranked coding bootcamp that is 100% dedicated to helping smart and highly motivated individuals become exceptional software engineers. Visit their website at www.sabio.la to learn how you may be able to use your GI Bill of Benefits to train at Sabio. Your tuition and monthly BAH stipend may be paid during your training period. They are also 100% committed in helping you find your first job in tech. So don't forget to head over to www.sabio.la to learn more. And now let's get started with this week's interview. Welcome to the show, Carolyn. I'm excited to have you here. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Like I told you earlier, when I found out I was going to be on the show, I started binge listening to all your podcasts and I am so impressed with everything that you've done and the, and the way that you're encouraging women to speak about their military experiences because I know a lot of, uh, most of my friends are, uh, you know, the female friends are military veterans and they don't talk, they don't tell their story very much and like, you know, you hear a lot of men telling more stories, women tend not to talk about it as much and uh, most of them are very humble, uh, badasses, but, you know, it's so nice to hear their stories now and hear, especially the, the variety. You've seen, it seems like for, of the ones I've listened to, you've talked to everybody from, you know, Will Bott to Secretary of the Air Force, all the way down to people who just are, have just started their military career or got out after just a short period. So, yeah. very impressive. Glad to be here. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks so much. That's really exciting. And, I, I really do love that I get a chance to talk to people from like all different varieties and it's really important that we hear all the stories because all the stories matter and they're so important. Oh, people won't know this because they're listening, but we're doing this in person. So if I sound more nervous than normal, it's because we're actually, which is funny because when I do Zoom, I can see you, but it's weirder to have someone right across the table. <laughs> it's kind of funny. But let's start with why did you decide to join the military? 
When I went to college, I knew I wanted a career, and I tried a lot of different things. So, you know, I, I started off as pre-vet and studied biology. I thought about nursing. I tried a little bit of everything, changed my major so many times that I got to the point where I had four years of college and nowhere near ready for a career. So my dad was in the Air Force, and I had loved the Air Force lifestyle. I loved everything about the military. I never thought I was going to go in, but I moved from Reno to San Diego and saw they had an ROTC program, an Air Force ROTC program. So I went to San Diego State and signed up to go through the Air Force ROTC program. It was about the same time I um, settled on a major finally. I uh, <laughs> decided to study psychology. I loved psychology. I'm just fascinated with why people do the things that they do and so I went through the two-year program. Uh, Air Force ROTC has normally a four-year program, but they had a two-year program for people like me who were coming into it a little bit late. And so I went to a basic training type summer camp in two years of uh, ROTC, and then I got my commission. Okay. So you picked out which major you wanted to do, and then you were able to... You did the summer camp before you did your last two years of ROTC? Yes. I started off with my summer camp and then did two years of ROTC and then I got commissioned. It was nice. My dad was able to commission me. He's a retired Air Force Lieutenant Colonel and I met my husband there. At the, we, weren't, we were actually just best friends for quite a long time. Um, he was a cadet there as well. And he got commissioned through San Diego State as well. We didn't we didn't end up getting married for another five years until uh, we each had a little taste of our careers. <laughs> and then we decided it was meant to be, but uh, we just uh, at the time we just got commissioned with two separate assignments. Yeah, I met my husband during ROTC too. Yeah, we met some of your best friends, and you know he's still my best friend. So yeah. <laughs> basically, best friends through ROTC and stay in touch with a lot of them. Yeah, I've lost track of a few of them, but. I know what most of them are doing. And so what were your first five years on active duty like? So when I came in Air Force, I was uh, lucky to be able to use my my college degree in psychology. I, wor- I worked um, first, for, before I came in, I worked for the Navy doing sleep research. And then when I came into the Air Force, I worked as a behavioral scientist, and actually in San Antonio, Texas, where I ended up retiring from. So I was a behavioral scientist working on uh, pilot candidate selection programs. So we were trying to find a way, at the time, the, the attrition rate or the number of people washing out of pilot training was really high, and we were trying to find a way to select people who would succeed at pilot training, have a better chance of succeeding at pilot training. So I worked with um, a psychologist, and then I became the program manager for this program called the Basic Attributes Test of, of the Pilot candidate selection method, and we used that. We uh, brought that online to screen cadets and OTS applicants who wanted to be pilots to try and find the people who had the highest uh, success rates. So I did that for three years, and then while we were doing that uh, research, we found that the test, because it was mostly developed on white males, those who were pilots at the time. We found that there were some issues that it wasn't as predictive for uh, minorities and for females. So the Air Force, I helped to develop this job at uh, Arizona State University. The Air Force sent me to Arizona State University to work with the psychology department there. And uh, Lufthansa had a big training program there. We found some better diversity of people to test this program on, and we made some changes to it based on the the research we did there to make it more equitable, more predictive for everybody. I was in a PhD program there, actually. I didn't finish it up 
because my husband and I decided to get married after that uh, that assignment, and we he's a helicopter pilot, uh, and so the only place we could go was Okinawa, where we could be stationed together, so I cross-trained into personnel, and then a lot of different jobs, just so we could stay together. Yeah, that's a challenge of being dual military, because... My career field was civil engineering, and my husband's is developmental engineering, and it was like oil in the water <laughs> when we tried to figure out, like, as we went up in rank, where the heck are we going to get stationed together, because they they just don't mix very well, so. Yeah, that was the same with his job and uh, behavioral science. It was very few, and at the time, the Air Force was drawing down as well, so we were up again a few years ago, and... Everybody was saying we don't need so many behavioral scientists anymore. So it was uh, very fortunate that they let me cross training to personnel, an opportunity to continue to grow and uh, get promoted in that career. So you guys went to Japan as newlyweds? We did. We did. Um, so we actually got married. He was still finishing up training in Albuquerque. So he didn't, he showed up the week before our first anniversary. Oh, okay. <laughs> so um, we, uh, we had a good assignment there. It was a beautiful place to be stationed, and we wanted to scuba dive, and we worked really hard. We wish we would have traveled more, in hindsight, but uh, we traveled a fair amount. And uh, then after um, our assignments there, we, we came back to get stationed at Nellis in Las Vegas, and I almost immediately had to deploy. I went on my first deployment to Turkey. And uh, so my husband got to move into the house by himself and <laughs> figure out how to unpack and, and put up ceiling fans and do all that. And then uh, when I came back from uh, Interlick from, from my first deployment, we uh, found out that was well, shortly afterwards, I found out we were expecting our first baby. And she was, she was born there in Las Vegas. So what was the transition like from going to being like a couple and then to being a family when your daughter was born? Our daughter was born um, shortly after September 11th, uh, 2001. So it was a very stressful time. I was nine months pregnant uh, doing an exercise with the base when, um, when September 11th happened. And so I spent most of that day and part of that night in the command post. Um, my husband was, he was supposed to be working the night shift on the exercise, so he spent it at home. And it was, it was very stressful, but it's like the, as soon as things settled, we found out my husband's he's a helicopter pilot. He was going to have to be deployed to Afghanistan, somewhere around there. And so it was funny. I was about to have the baby, and um, my master sergeant came up to me, and he was a sergeant bird, I remember. He was so sincere, and he said, man, you need a birth coach. I'm here for you. And everybody really rallied around me. My, my boss at the time, Squadron Commander, came to see me at the hospital, but he luckily was able to stay until, until she was born. Uh, he deployed shortly after that, so... That was a challenge, uh, having a newborn, having to work. You know, at the time, uh, women only had uh, six weeks after pregnancy. Probably the same. Mm-hmm. I mean, they just recently made that longer. But it was only six weeks, and that was um, not really long enough. At the time, I wasn't before she was born, I wasn't sure if I would be able to go back to work. I wasn't sure what it would like be like being a mom. I was the youngest, and I was like, well, I might, I might want to get out. Um, I might not be able to handle this, but... Uh, everybody is different, and I found that after six weeks of being home with a baby that I had to work. I was not cut out to be a stay-at-home mom. I just didn't have the um, what it took. It takes a very strong woman to I can stay home with the with kids, and, and I couldn't do that. Um, so my husband and I um, 
decided in every step of the way we made these decisions together, we decided we would hire the best childcare we could and uh, we would both continue to work as long as we both enjoyed it. But it was, uh, you know, that's those few years after September 11th, he deployed a lot and I was home a lot with my daughter and uh, I was exhausted and a few times, you know, I, I would fall asleep, you know, holding her after dinner and uh, she's still alive sometimes. <laughs> she turned out great. She turned out great. But uh, it, was, it was very challenging. Yeah. Like a bunch of things changing within the military and then your life changing as you went from a couple to a family and then dad's gone and you're working and that's a lot. It was. It was a lot. And I'm, um, I'm really encouraged by the changes I see happening in the Air Force now to, not just for women, but for you know, the time I came in the military, 1991 was when I was commissioned. The women who came before me worked really hard to make sure women were allowed to come in the military to be respected. But there was still a lot of jobs that weren't open to the military. And when I came in, it was right after Tailhook, um, which was a I'm not sure if you remember, but it was a big Navy convention where the aviators would get together. But there was a scandal that happened that year in 1991 where something they'd always done, but it was the first time it actually got reported, was they would have like a gauntlet and the women, anybody coming down the hallway, um, was subject to being harassed or assaulted or whatever. So the women who had been assaulted at this convention in Las Vegas called Tailhook, they reported it. And they also reported a lot of the gender bias and discrimination they were experiencing and it really hit the fan about the time I was coming in the Air Force and so uh, when I first came in there was still a lot of people saying why why do you want to join the military why would a woman want to be in the military my answer was always the same the same as a man you know because I'm patriotic I love my country I love the military I love the mission and it was hard for people to understand then at least my peer group and now I can see that women you know I'm, I'm proud to be have been part of that group that helped normalize women in the military and that I didn't have role models for someone who was dual military and had a child and who was making that work there at the time that didn't happen very often so I didn't know anybody never ran across anybody so I was kind of my goal to make sure that I helped other people who wanted to have both a career and a child and a family uh, see somebody who was successful at it so it was it was difficult, um, but I'm, I'm hoping it's easier for people now if they want to do that. Um, and, it, and I'm hoping they take that flag and run with it, the ones who, who do choose. Because it's not just about the women in the military either. It's about men who want to be, you know, men want to be part of their family too. The, the, most men have working wives now. And whether they're working in the military or they're working at home, it's more of a partnership than it used to be. At least when my dad was in, you know, my mom stayed home and that was her job and that's it. Um, and my dad was gone a lot and we didn't see him or interact with him. But today's families, it seems that um, the parents, they, they both parent, they both want to be at the plays and the baseball games and all that. And um, and they both want to work. And I think that's, that's perfectly normal, I think. Most people want to have a career, something that they can be proud of for themselves, and they also want to have a family. So I'm happy to see the military starting to get to that point where it's easier to do both. It's still difficult. Yeah. I mean, the Air Force has changed a lot because when I when I got out in 2013, 
you only got six weeks of maternity leave, and now it's 12. And now husbands get six weeks of maternity leave in the Air Force, which I'm like, that's crazy. That's how it's done. That's awesome. I mean, yeah. kids need both parents, and both parents have to should have an opportunity to be present and enrolled and active in their children's lives. Yeah, no, it's a good thing. It just was funny because mm-hmm. when my husband told me, I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, those are all positive changes. I see. So yeah. I think in a lot of ways, the military needs this thing. You know, I don't, I don't see a lot of that in civilian jobs. I, I don't know a lot about them, but um, I think it's nice that the military has you know, that men do a lot to have to turn to leave as well. Yeah, there's a new law that's being legislated. I don't know how to what you would actually say, but it's being worked in Congress. And my friend sent me, and they're trying to extend women's maternity leave, I think, to 18 weeks, and then extend male maternity leave to 12 weeks. And so they are working to expand it. And and you like you said, the military it kind of expected. People do just work all the time, and people are like, uh, no, like, I have a family. I want to go home <laughs> instead of just, like, always being at work. So yeah, I think that's changing. It's taking a while to turn that ship. It's, uh, it's turning. I think it's for, I think it helps create better, more balanced humans. Yeah. <laughs> uh, because that is something I struggle with is, with my career uh, is finding balance, you know, because I felt like I had to prove myself as a woman that a woman could do this job. And felt obligated to do everything that my mom did for me as a child, you know, as a stay-at-home mom. And I, I, it was an internal pressure, but I felt I had to do both of those things equally well. I very fortunate. My husband is the type that he want, he helped out as well. You know, we had our jobs, and you know, we both did our parenting um, together. Unfortunately, both of us had actually had to deploy a lot as well. That's a unique part of the military that others don't have. That that is a challenge. So you guys did both end up deploying at the same time, and did you have to use your family care plan? So the family care plan is is, challenge, is difficult because that's when you have to have somebody identified within two weeks of getting to a new base uh, who is going to take your child if you both deploy or something bad happens to you both. So. Um, I was fortunate my sister agreed to be our uh, family care plan person. So only one time did we overlap a little bit. And uh, it was happened to be when my daughter was, um, she was still a baby. And so that was uh, one of the more stressful times in our lives. My husband was in Afghanistan. I was actually just on a uh, TDY, temporary duty assignment. And uh, our daughter found out while we were both gone that she was allergic to penicillin and she had an ear infection. So she... My sister said she was blue. She called us on the phone and she left. She was blue. She's not breathing. And, you know, as a parent, you're just like sick that you can't be there for that. So that was, that was hard. But, um, other than that one short time, we both were, our deployments were staggered. Mm-hmm. So he deployed with his squadron with the helicopters uh, more frequently, but for shorter periods of time. And I deployed for longer periods of time, but not as much. And did the units work around your guys' deployment schedule, or was it just luck that you were able to work that? I think they tried. They tried to work around it. Uh, at the time, when we were younger, when my daughter was younger, uh, one person's career field usually takes priority over another. So for my husband, because he was a pilot, and he had more, the Air Force had invested more in him, and I was uh, only a personalist, right. uh, my career field took a back seat. So... 
I was able to manage my, my deployments a little bit better and um, only volunteer when, when I knew his unit was not going to be on the hook. And being a personnelist, you get to know things like I manage that system a little bit better. <laughs> so it worked out well. Uh, I was at the uh, personnel flight uh, or the mission support squadron. That's where all the deployments are managed through. Right. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And I guess your husband learned how to help out because if you weren't there, then he had to take care of your daughter. And so do you think that had an impact on like how involved he was with you not being home? I think so. I mean, I think I married the right person to begin with. Yeah. The first, um, my first long deployment to Iraq, you know, he had a lot of help. He had a lot of family that, you know, they really, they worried about him. They were, you know, he's like, when I was deployed, people didn't, or when he was deployed and I was home alone, people didn't worry so much about me because I was the mom. But, you know, when the man's left alone with the baby, you know, people worried a bit more. So his, his mom and aunts and my family, they all came out and helped and stayed with him a bit. And then uh, our second, my second long deployment after, after our daughter got into school, we realized we needed to live in home, um, child care. There was a few one time when I was deployed, um, my husband got stuck late. He, he was flying and there was an emergency and he couldn't get to the child development center to pick up my daughter that night. And he, he really panicked because he had this picture of them putting her out on the sidewalk with her, you know, with her binky and, you know, nobody there for her. So he called uh, my squadron commander and my squadron commander picked her up. Everything was fine. But we realized after that that we needed somebody live in to help us, especially once she started school. So we went through, um, we had an agency, we got an au pair of Ukraine, and she was awesome. She worked in summer camps and, you know, the, we had moved through all the security clearance issues, but she lived with us. She taught my, my daughter, started kindergarten. She taught her how to do homework, took care of her during the day. And then when we came home, you know, without us, had all her homework done and everything was great. And from then on, we had au pairs until my daughter um, got old enough where she didn't need somebody to stay with her anymore. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, and that's the type of stuff that where you're doing a mission and you can't get back and you're, like, freaking out, like, what am I going to do? I can't get back and I need to get there. And that sounds like military. <laughs> so, yeah, I interviewed a single mom and she had an au pair because she said that she couldn't always be there for her daughter, and it just made life easier to have someone living there and not have to worry about the stress of childcare and then if she couldn't get back in time. And so, so that's, I think that's a common uh, dual military couple and single parent thing that, that people face in the military. In our affairs, they really were like our daughters. We stay, stay in touch with all of them. Um, one of them has joined the army, and she's a nurse. Another one, the first one, uh, she was she turned up to be a nurse. She lives in New York with her before she met in the states, and we see them all as much as we can. We try to travel to see them if they're out of the country or they're by back to our house. They're like our daughters. Yeah, that's awesome. That's great. So. Between deploying and the rest of your time, like you had before September 11th, you didn't have kids. Life was, I say life without kids is pretty easy when you're in the military. You just communicate, you're separated, but it's not that. And then September 11th happened and the whole military changed and you had a fan, like you had your daughter. So what was like the last 10 years and how was that different from like the first 10 years? Well, the stresses were just different. You know, first 
10 years, we were working really hard and having babies is, you know, having a baby at home is hard. The second 10 or 16 years after that, my husband and I both had command opportunities to command. And when you're commanding a squadron, that uh, takes priority over a lot of other things. So luckily, we didn't command at the same time. You know, like all I was in command, you know, my daughter would bring me dinner and we would eat in my office. And uh, unfortunately, I wasn't able to be there for my husband. When he was in command, I was deployed. But there were some awesome uh, military spouses who really stepped in and they would take care of my daughter when she needed new clothes. They would take her shopping. And one time she broke her leg and um, my husband couldn't take her to the hospital. Um, and another military spouse jumped in, took her to the hospital for us. Uh, they would even help him with the, um, it, it's like, it's called the key spouse program, but there was a key spouse. I'll never forget her, uh, April Golden. She was, she was like the best military spouse in the world. But <laughs> she even would help him with his distinguished visitor visits, or she made everything in the squadron very nice for the families and for the people that worked there. And, uh, I could never repay her for everything she did because she did what I would have done if I was, if I was a military spouse, if I could have been there. But I was, uh, was unfortunately overseas and couldn't do all the things that my husband needed. I don't think people always understand, like, the role that military spouses play, especially, like, in a unit where, like, the commander's spouse in all the units I was in was very involved in doing all this stuff to keep everything running behind the scenes that you don't really think about that. Is it full-time? It's a, it really is a full-time job. I, um, when I became the vice commander out at Bright Pat, there's a, there's a course for... Um, Wing commander, vice commanders, uh, and their spouses are invited. So I really wanted my husband to go to that because they said, you know, when when you have this commander spouses course, you're going to be strategizing together about how to work all the challenges of of command, wing command at that level. And so um, luckily he, he took time off from work and he came with me to the commander's, who's the only male spouse, and he was patronized a little bit. I'm not going to say who it was, but the chief of staff of the Air Force at the time came in and he came with his spouse and uh, they were talking to us and they said, you know, to the spouses, they said, there's really no obligation for you as a spouse to do all these things. They're nice to do, but if you have a career and you, you know, want to do something else, you're not obligated. But then, that, you know, to me, I was feeling in my heart that if you're having a class for the military spouses and telling them these are all the things that are nice to do, there really is an expectation that the military spouse is going to do these things. So I think we're not quite there yet with understanding that both spouses, most cases, have a career and they have their own things. And it's not, just my opinion, it's great if the military spouse can support it, but I don't think there should be an expectation that there is, you know, that they have to do that. Yeah, we're like, <laughs> you can't be like, here's a list of things that you should do as a military spouse, but you don't have to do them <laughs> because it's like, well, then who's going to do all these things? I, th- I think the military is changing a bit now where it's not quite as expected. I mean, definitely it's better than um, when my mom was in and the, they had to have parties and hosts right. and go to the you know officers' wives club events in order for your husband to get promoted and be of, you know, be in, in the in-group. It's, I, I know it's not like that anymore. It's just that there are still, and, and there's some people who want to do that, which is great. It makes definitely uh, life in the squadron and in the units better, better, you know, for a lot of people. But uh, 
don't think it's right to expect that of people when they have their own career. So did you and your husband transition out of the military at the same time? We did. We could actually, uh, I retired him and he retired me. Uh, we had a we had a ceremony in 2017 and it was interesting because um, we both, we decided I would retire him. I would tell his story and he would tell my story, but we started off by each writing down our story and then we gave to each other to read and it's amazing how many edits we did and how much we changed and it was a very healing process to write the story of your your military experience and to to tell that story so we we told each other stories and it was uh, our goal was to keep it under an hour and we were able to do that and we had a nice event at Randolph Air Force Base uh, in a hangar with lots of airplane noise and then uh, we had a big barbecue at our house and it was was a nice event to get to it, yeah. it was nice having done that career, uh, having taken that journey with my best friend. Yeah, that sounds like the perfect way to end it, to do it together and each share each other's stories. I love that idea. Yeah, it was nice. It was, it was a great event. So it's, uh, we have a lot of stories. I mean, I'm not really a storyteller, um, but uh, I feel like I have a story to tell. And that's why I'm so proud of you doing this and uh, getting other women to tell their stories in the military so people know what it's... I think there's a lot of stereotypes out there about what military women are like, a lot of stereotypes about what military life is like. Some of them are not portrayed very positively, honestly, in the media right now for military women. There's a lot, you know... Um, a lot of problems, that same problems that we have in society, but unfortunately those stories um, sensationalized by the media more than the everyday normal person like me who uh, had many challenges, but a great experience overall in the military. Yeah. So what was your transition like out of the military? That was 2017, so it's been about three, three four years. So it was not an easy transition. I, I, I was really looking forward to retirement, but I... I had grown up in the military, or grown up in, my dad was in the Air Force. It was really the only life I knew, and um, I wasn't sure what my purpose was going to be after the military. My daughter was getting, she, we, I needed to retire. She wanted to, she was a high school sophomore, I guess, and um, we wanted her to not have to change schools again. My mom had just passed away, and I had regrets for not having spent more time with her. My dad needed help, needed more help, and um, and I thought it was time for my um, for me to really support my husband in his career, like he had supported mine. Um, so I decided to not work, not to go right back to work, and um, I felt like I had, you know, I I loved your podcast on the stages of grief with regards to um, retiring or separating from the military. I thought that was perfect, and I. I love that you shared such personal um, feelings about how, how it really is like going through um, grief in all the stages. So I went through all those. I I didn't I didn't seek out the help like you did. I probably should have. But uh, what I did was um, found I found yoga meditation and that really helped me. And then um, I found writing and uh, I started writing uh, a book which I just. Dabbled that, and I found that writing every day really helped me reflect deeply on what I was thinking and what I had been through and some of the traumas that I had experienced. It helped me to write it and rewrite it and to understand understand it myself. Yeah, so let's talk about your book, which is True Feathers. And 
it wasn't what I was expecting. <laughs> I was expecting a memoir, and I mean, it is a memoir, but it's also a story. I really loved how I look. Well, why don't I just let you explain it? But I really loved reading it. It was so easy to read, and then I loved the last chapter how you tied everything together. Yeah, I'm not the best at talking about my book because it's. Uh... I'm just not good at talking about me so much. And this is challenging for me. And I found, you know, one of the things about writing a book is afterwards you have to be able to tell me what it's about. And it's, to me, it, it is complicated because it's about my journey uh, as a growing up as a military child and going in the military. And then as I transitioned, trying to find my authentic self. But I told it as a, uh, a fable, like a modern-day fable of a... Um, of a dove raised by hawks who then um, has some some trauma happen to her and then she goes to seek uh, who she is and what her purpose is after after the um, after leaving the hawks and she she finds peace and she comes to understanding by um, with the help of a little beach mouse who shows her that uh, everybody every creature is important and every creature has experiences that happen to them in their life that lead them to what their purpose is. They're, and it, it could be as, as simple as, you know, um, the, the doves that uh, raise a family and they're happy and they're, you know, they're peaceful. Um, it could be, you know, the hawks who their purpose is to, to hunt and to keep the, the rodent population down. You know, yeah. and the beach mice had a very special purpose in this book as well. Yeah, I really, I really loved how the different characters saw the world through different lenses and how she was like, when she was talking to the dove couple and she's like, no, like, what's your purpose? And they're like, we just fly and we are happy. <laughs> and she's like, no, like, what's your purpose? <laughs> and I was like, I felt like that really explained, like when I was transitioning, I was like, ah, what am I supposed to be doing? And I really struggled. And it was like, my purpose was to be a mom and to like love my kids and like find find my new way forward but it was so hard in that like moment where I was like struggling and so I really I really liked what that part of the book when she was asking like what's your purpose and they were just like well, we're happy why do we have to have a purpose and I was like that just reminds me of me in my transition because I was like I would ask people the same thing well like what do I do and they're like just be you and I'm like I don't know what that means <laughs> and so that's I really I really enjoyed it and I really loved the end and how it like parallels back to your to your life and how you can see the stories interwoven because you use the same names right for mm -hmm. your mom and your husband and yeah. Yeah, my husband I use his call sign and then I just changed the names a little bit for my mom and for my mom and dad but you know the when Ku, uh, the main character, <clears throat> when she does see those doves, you know, I, I'm glad you said that about uh, being able to identify with that because it is something that when I um, retired, you know, I'm, I always thought of myself as a hawkish dove, but when I retired and I, that dove that Ku is talking to represents me as well because I was like, well, I'm you know, just a mom, am I just a spouse, am I just a, just a, and then I'm like, I am just me. I'm just that dove. I'm fine just being just who I am. And that's, a, you know, the military, you have a very you know, important role. And, you know, you have a lot of, uh, you work really hard to have a, you know, command respect and, and have a job. But it's, 
it's fine to be just you. And I, I think that's so neat that you have found your, your, your purpose in doing what you do. You're, you're who you are and you're, and you're letting other people talk about who they are. And, uh, and that's so important. You know, I love your description. You know, everyone has a story because it's true. And you, you know, like I said, but you know, you don't have to chase tomorrow for it to show up. It's going to show up. Right. You have to go chasing everything down. Yeah, I really loved it, and it was such an easy read. I've been reading a lot of military books, and they're they're more rigid. And this was just like a story in it. I I love fiction too. So that's my other like. I really love fiction. I'm not as much of a nonfiction reader, so it was really fun to read. And then to have all the like hidden meanings within the story was really fun. Yeah, I think a lot of military people relate to it, and. Uh... I've given it to a lot of people who are getting ready to retire transition, uh, hoping that they find some peace and healing through making sense of their story, making sense of their experiences. You know, some of them have been through a lot of trauma, some of them have seen some terrible things, and it's important to reflect on that. And I found I put a lot of resources in the back uh, that helped me in, in learning about writing and the healing powers of writing and writing your story. So, so my last question is, what advice would you give to young women who are considering military service? Yeah, I said, I listened to all your podcasts before I came over here, and it sounded like a lot of people said the same thing, which is do your research and know, you know a, a bit about your uh, what career field you want to go to and what branch and all that. And I think that is, that is solid, strong advice. Once you decide to go in the military, though, I would say to women or to, to anyone is uh, learn your job and be very good at what you do. Uh, it's important, and um, it will make your life much easier if you're the expert at your job and uh, you know what you're doing. And uh, you won't have to you won't have to worry about chasing down the promotions or the next level of recognition or whatever. Just focus on knowing your job. Oh, I like that. That's really good advice. Thank you. This week's episode of Women of the Military Podcast. Do you love all things Women of the Military Podcast? Become a subscriber so you never miss an episode and consider leaving a review. It really helps people find the podcast and helps the podcast to grow. Are you still listening? You could be a part of the mission of telling the stories of military women by joining me on Patreon at patreon.com slash women of the military or you can order my book Women of the Military on Amazon. Every dollar helps to continue continue the work I am doing. Are you a business owner? Do you want to get your product or service in front of the Women of the Military podcast audience? Get in touch with the Women of the Military podcast team to learn more. All the links on how you can support Women of the Military podcast are located in the show notes. Thanks again for listening and for your support.